Welcome to San Marino Community Church. My name is James Baird, and I am the associate pastor for contemporary worship, congregational development, and family ministries. If you're joining us today, you're coming on a great day because today we are celebrating Palm Sunday. Essentially, we are remembering one of the greatest parties in history. Have you ever seen those festivals in Europe where people throw tomatoes all over each other? The Tomatillo Festival? Well, this was better than that. Have you ever seen a baseball Have you ever seen a baseball team come home after winning the pennant? Well, this was better than that. This story we're reading today is the story of the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. A moment that people had been looking forward to and praying for and talking about for seven, for hundreds of years. Listen to the words of scripture as we read the account given in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Who is this? I like this question that the crowds are asking. Who is this? Do you remember the first time that you found out who Jesus was or the first time that you asked that question? Or do you remember an important moment in your faith journey when it felt like there was going to be no stopping your devotion and love for Jesus? I can look back on my life and and think of a number of moments, enough to list on my fingers, that were so powerful spiritually that I felt I had reached a high like none other. Each time I felt like I was realizing something I had hoped for or looked forward to for a long time. The people in this verse we are looking at are at one of the highest moments as they are realizing and experiencing the fulfillment of all their hopes and prayers. For 700 years they had been waiting for the person that would come and save them from their pain, their poverty, their twisted relationships, the oppressive forces of their day. And now their nation would finally have the perfect king, the one that would help them to live fully. They were so excited that they took the branches off the trees and lined the road with them. They took off their cloaks and threw them down on the road and the horse poop and the urine and the mud, and they were caught up in the moment. 
Have you ever been caught up in a moment like this? Have you ever experienced a moment of power and profound realization about who God is or about who you are in relation to God? Have you ever read scripture and been completely astounded at the discovery of how much God loves you? Have you ever, in a moment, gone from skepticism to belief? What's amazing about this story is that it teaches us that God's plans are the moments of our lives. That God has planned the moments of our lives. That God sets these moments up hundreds, maybe thousands of years in advance. He choreographs the great moments of our lives. Just like the disciples who go into the anonymous town to discover the donkey tied to the post and waiting for Jesus to ride it, we too, if we are obedient to Jesus' instructions, will find ourselves helping God choreograph the great moments of this world. I remember one time when a church I attended put together a trip to a Christian concert. I reluctantly went along because I was convinced that Christians did not know how to put on concerts or even play rock music. Christian bands were kind of always disappointing, at least in my book. I'm sorry. And, and the musicians weren't dedicated like Virginia Road. They were kind of, the ones that I'd been exposed to, they were always kind of like, uh, like they didn't want to do it. They were just, and it, and it didn't rock. They would always say, this is rock. And I, that's, that's not rock. So when I went to this concert, I went very reluctantly. I'm like, Christians do not know how to play music. I've heard music. I've, I've heard you too, for example. That would be a rock concert. What you're going to is going to be probably not that. So I went with all of my skepticism and all of my doubt to this Christian concert. It rocked. It was over the top. They had the best musicians. They were dedicated. You could tell that they put just as much heart and soul and passion into the music that they were playing and singing, that they really cared and believed in what they were singing about. And I looked around the room and I saw this generation of people that I knew my whole life was going to be sitting on the sidelines and would never be drawn into that level of worship that I had experienced when I was a kid, even with the organ and the choir and all of these things. I realized that God had been preparing me for that moment my whole entire life. That God had been sowing the seeds of my heart in my heart. When I was listening to U2's Rattle and Hum album and I heard them sing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I heard that gospel choir from Harlem sing that. And I said, you know, worship should sound like that. Worship should be alive. And by the way, we're singing that song at the beginning of the earth service in here next week with a 20-person choir. The 20-person choir made up of people in this congregation. It's going to be amazing. You see, that was the moment that I felt I would never come down for it from. I would never, I would never, it would never grow old. That I would walk on from that moment and I would, I would be like this great evangelist. I would, I would just, people could look at me and I would just be walking on the clouds. And actually, more than the moments that I can count on my fingers and my hand, I can remember all of the moments in worship. There are quite a few. Jason's preached some sermons some days that have had these opening, eye-opening experiences where I didn't, I had no idea. Or maybe they were moments, maybe the moment for you today was when the band was playing that Coldplay song, In My Place, In My Place. I was lost. I was waiting, but I'll wait for you. Lord, I'll wait for you. Maybe that was the moment for you. 
Maybe it's right now. Understanding the magnitude of the celebration. The historian Josephus said that the celebration that took place was probably about 3 million people. Now, whether you think that was a little inflated or less, have you ever heard of how they count the people at the political events? You know, they say, oh, a million people thing or whatever it is. And then they always count them from the sky afterward and they're like 250,000. Okay, but let's say there were a quarter of the number of people that Josephus had mentioned. Let's say there were just, oh, you know, 900,000. Do you think that would be probably a pretty amazing spectacle and moment? I'll tell you how big this moment was. People went up into the trees and they started ripping the branches off of the trees. They climbed the trees. I mean, you can kind of tame these things down. Oh, well, they went and, you know, snipped them with scissors or something. They would like, I can imagine it was me and Jason. Jason would have me and he'd say, jump on the branch more so it can come down. And I'd be like, is it breaking? And then we'd be waving this enormous branch and slopping it down in the road. Jason would take off the coat he just man- mentioned and he'd throw it down in the horse poop and all of the urine and the mud. And then all the other people would be like, let's throw our coats in the poop, you know? And they just like, everybody just went crazy. I told you it was bigger than the Tomatillo Festival. Am I saying that right? The Tomatillo Festival, the Tomato Festival in Italy. It was bigger than that and messier than that and more disgusting and visceral and crazier than that. That's how big this moment was for these people. But then it ended. Then the moment kind of died down and Jesus went on to preaching and teaching and and there weren't 900,000 people. There were just a few and And he was doing things that people didn't like so much. He was turning over tables in the temple and telling people things they weren't comfortable with. See, they had been waiting for freedom from their their enslavement, but it wasn't the freedom that they had all bought into. It's not the freedom that necessarily they all wanted. They had been waiting for this rescue, this thing that they were saying, rescue us, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Well, Jesus, he was saying, okay, I'll rescue you. I'll answer your prayer. But I want to let you know it's going to come at a cost. It's going to come at a big cost. See, we often tend to dummy down or tame down all of these experiences, but it was so real, the high. I know that the low must have been so much. I mean, when you go from these extremes, it can be so overwhelming of an experience. Have you ever had that moment where you come out of worship and you realize that you're on the courtyard and already you're having these petty little relational things with one person or another? Or maybe it, maybe yours doesn't begin as soon as the courtyard. Or maybe you're, you're, you're thinking, oh, well, there's a homeless person over there and they want, the, they want the donut I want. I don't know what happens in your mind after worship, but, but I can guarantee you that, the, the, that at some point, all of us, or at least me, I can guarantee you that in my life, There's this six days in between that are tough and they're not all these highs and these epiphanies and I'm not perfect like I thought I would be and I'm not connected to Jesus 24 hours a day. In fact, it only takes about 24 seconds for my mind to wander in a different place and then say, Lord, forgive me. See, that's in a way what's so powerful about what Jesus was doing because he knew exactly who they were. They didn't know who Jesus was. They said, who is this? Who is this Jesus? And he was essentially saying, I'll show you who I am. I'll show you who I am. I'll show you how much I love you, how much I care for you, how far I'm willing to go in order to communicate my love to you. 
And I know how broken you are and what it's going to take in order to restore you, in order to bring you back. I know the cost that it's going to be to me and to you. There's a balance, though. As I was getting ready for this Palm Sunday service. I was so excited. And part of the reason is because I have this palm tree in my... It's not a palm tree. Does anybody know what kind of plant it is? It's just huge palm fronds that just leap out of the ground, 14, 15 feet in the air. Is that a palm tree? What is that called? Does anybody... That, let's call that a palm tree. It's these long palm fronds, 15 feet long. And there were about eight of them. And they were growing at the very back of the yard. And I watched them and I thought, this is going to be amazing. I can't wait till Palm Sunday. I'm going to, I'm going to take those leaves off and people are going to be blown away. They're actually standing. I, I had always envisioned they're going to like be in worship. They're now standing as grand entrance palms. You can see them as you leave. But I was so excited to do it that I just went into the garage and I got a saw and I sawed the whole thing down. And it was only two minutes later when I realized, oh, I think I killed the tree. (laughs) You know, I wasn't thinking about next year, how it'd be really fun to have 14, 15 foot palms. So I'm looking to you guys to help me out with that. And I even realized how a palm branch works. If I was a little more careful, I would have realized that they grow from the center. You can cut them out and whatever. I'm not from Southern California, you can tell. But that's what it was like. People were ripping the branches. They were killing the trees. They were throwing their cloaks. And by the way, when they say they were throwing their cloak in the mud, that was saying, I'm all in. I'm giving you basically all I have. Most of these people, the only thing they had was their cloak. That's it. That, they wrapped up in it at night to sleep in. That was it. That was their possession. And they threw it on the ground, in the horse poop, into the urine, into the mud, into the filth. They were caught up in the moment. Just like we are on Sunday morning. And then it came down. But the part of this that I think is really important for us to know is that as much as we feel or may become cynical about the process that God has created for us of Sabbath and then life in between the Sabbath, it's meaningful and it's important and it does leave a permanent impact. The conversations that we have with one another and with God do leave this permanent impact. You see, for those people who went back into their weeks, they were changed. As much as their cloaks were permanently stained and probably ripped or maybe even they lost them. I mean, 900,000 cloaks. Try to figure that one out. The trees were mangled and had to grow back in different directions than they would have grown before. The landscape, just like the landscape of my backyard, was permanently and forever changed. And that's what happens in the landscape of our hearts. God changes us. He morphs us. And as much as we think that the things that happen on Sunday might completely die away, they don't. They're there. They've changed you. Part of the reason why you don't feel changed is because you have changed. I've seen people who, who've grown and matured in their faith and they've definitely changed. And anyone from the outside could say, you have transformed as an individual. But they're so down on themselves saying, I haven't changed. I haven't done anything. And, and God's, this process of God is not, is not creating anything beautiful and new in my life. But I can see that it is in your eyes and I can see it in your life. And I know you're hard on yourself. But I want to encourage you today to let you know that this process is important and it's meaningful. But don't take Christ out of the center of that process. See, a lot of times 
the temptation can be to try to replace Christ with something else. To try to replace Christ with a political party or a king or some other, some other formula. But the reality is that it is Christ that redeems all. It is Christ at the center of the brokenness and the depravity. See, they were just going to crucify three people on that day anyway. Don't you think that that's pretty disgusting and awful any, regardless of who they would have crucified? See, their depravity was there. It was there every day. Probably every Thursday they went out. And they did something just as depraved. Yet Jesus went to that place of depravity and he said, I will save you. I will answer your prayer. I will rescue you as you're asking to be rescued. But I will go to any lengths to do this. And that's what Jesus did. He answered the question. The question that they all asked. The people looked around to each other as he rode into town. 900,000, 3 million, however many people. They looked around and they all said, who is this? Who is this? Do you know who Jesus is? Have you ever asked that question? You can ask me or anyone else in this room who Jesus is. I'd love that question. It would be fun to just break into small groups right now and just just have that, wouldn't it? And just answer that question. Who is Jesus? Let's break into prayer right now as the band comes up. And let's pray and ask God to reveal himself to us. Lord, thank you for answering our cry, our shout, Hosanna. We are all too aware of our brokenness, Lord. We are all too aware of the depths to which we stoop. Right after we walk away from worship and away from the highs and away from the eye-opening moments and the transformation that you exact in our lives. Lord, we need you so badly. And we do pray, we're asking you, Lord, to reveal yourself to us today through this moment and through this music and and every day in the week. That you would show yourself to us, that you would show us how much you love us. And that through the course of Holy Week, that our eyes, our hearts would be open so that we could come to know how beautiful you are. And how much you love us and how far you're willing to go in order to rescue us. And to answer our prayer. So Lord. We pray. For those people that we will come in contact with this week. We pray for the services that are coming up. Next Sunday and on Monday Thursday. We pray that there would be a preparation of not just our hearts. But of the people's hearts that, that we are connecting with this week. That we would walk into those moments knowing that you've choreographed them. That you're planning them. And that we can have the confidence that you have a better plan and in a more amazing plan than we could ever possibly imagine. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.